it's, um, it's hard to define something by what it's not, isn't it? We try and define something by what it's not, by saying what it's not. So if I say to you, I'm thinking of something, and I want you to guess what it is. It's not a planet. It's not a person. It's not blue, and it's not alive. Anyone who was not in first service have any guesses of what <clears throat> I'm thinking of? You don't know, right? Because it's hard to define something by what it's not. I was thinking of my coffee pot on my kitchen counter. Um, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Did anyone get it? No. Nobody got it. Of course not. Because it's hard to define something by what it's not. It's hard to guess something with just that little of information. And yet we're in this series on rest, and we're really talking, we're talking as we talk about rest, we're looking at what does the Bible say about this word called Sabbath? This, if you read through the scriptures, you're going to come across this word Sabbath uh, fairly often. And what does the Bible mean and say about this word Sabbath? And here's where these two things overlap. Sabbath literally means to stop working. It means to cease, to desist, to not work. So you're essentially defining what Sabbath is by what it isn't. Sabbath is not working. Well, that can cause some problems, just like in my example at the beginning of trying to guess what it is, of trying to figure out what you're supposed to do on Sabbath or not do. Last Sunday after church, I took my little jar of water. Some of you were here last week. You, you got your little jar of water and dirt. Uh, so I took my little jar of water and dirt home after church, and it was still a little fuzzy. Uh, and I stuck it on the windowsill in the kitchen, and I tried to remember the words of the message that I'm supposed to let things settle, and as things settle and busyness slows down, that I'll be able to see more clearly. And then I did that, and then I said, okay, now what? I ate lunch, sat down to watch a football game. I took a nap because that's how I watch football games. <laughs> that's what my kids tell me. I went outside and I saw that it was a beautiful summer day, so I was walking around the yard and as I'm walking around the yard, I realized there's things out there that are from the summer, just as Bill talked about, now we're going to fall, and I saw some things that probably aren't going to be used anymore, so I started picking some things up, putting them away, started deflating things that were inflated, and started putting those away. And then I start, I look over at the fence and I'm like, wow, there's some weeds and branches growing over the fence and those need to be cut back and pushed back. And I'm thinking about that and looking at all this stuff and I thought about the morning's message and if I wondered if I was letting things settle. I wondered, was I working even though I wasn't getting paid for this? I was busy, but I like being busy. Maybe you like being busy. Then later in the day, Wendy and I went for a walk, and after that, I picked up a book that I'd been wanting to read, and I read a few pages in that. And my question came, was all of this what I was supposed to be doing on the Sabbath? Was any of it? Is the inactivity of sitting on the couch and mindlessly watching TV somehow qualitatively better or worse than working in my yard and exerting effort and expending energy? Are both okay with God? Is either okay 
with God. As we've gotten in this series, maybe you've felt the familiar tension. This tension of what am I supposed to do or not do? What am I supposed, I get that maybe I'm supposed to stop and remember that God is God and I am not. And that blindness, and that busyness leads to blindness and I need to stop and see God clearly. But still, what am I supposed to do or not do? When am I supposed to do it or not do it? And for how long do you want me to do it or not do it? How, what are the specifics around this thing called Sabbath? What are we supposed to do and not do? You wouldn't be alone in thinking this way and having these challenges in wanting some additional clarification on Sabbath. It's as if uh, God said in the beginning of the Bible, six days you shall work and one day you shall cease working. And it's as if humanity heard that and said, okay, that's fine, but we will define what not working is. In fact, for many years, the Israelites whom received this word from God tried to define what it is to not work. Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to not work? Maybe you haven't come up with a definition, but they came up with 39 things that you could not do on the Sabbath to define not working. Now, for some of you, this is very appealing to get a list like this. Because you're like, oh, perfect, this is what I've been waiting for. Give me the list, tell me what to do or not to do, I'll write it down, I'll snap a picture, and I will follow it to the letter. Finally, something concrete instead of this meditation contemplation stuff we've been doing at the end of service. You don't want a jar with water and dirt, you want a list to follow. Well, here it is, 39 things you cannot do according to the Jewish laws on the Sabbath. Ready? Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, Marking. So, if you were planning on slaughtering or skinning, I don't know what your afternoon plans were, but if you want to keep the Jewish law, you may have to change them. And of course, each of these had, you know, a thorough definition that went along with it that actually got pretty specific. For example, finishing meant you couldn't finish something you started. It, meant, it also meant you couldn't tear anything. You couldn't tear a piece of paper. So those that followed the law to the most strictest sense said you couldn't tear toilet paper. And so before the Sabbath, you had to do some preparation. You had to make sure it was pre-torn and there for you, ready to go, and hopefully you estimated correctly. But these were the laws and the rules. Before we're too hard on the Israelites and the Jewish people. We're not too different, are we? I mean, we want to know the list. We want to know the boundaries. Tell me what I can't do. Tell me what I can do. Just make it clear. Give me some direction. 
But when we try and bring our specifics to something God left pretty general, it gets messy. And that's exactly what was happening when Jesus enters the scene. Many of the run-ins Jesus has with religious leaders were around this topic of Sabbath and around the rules that they had come up with with Sabbath. So for the last two weeks, we've been pretty general. We started in Genesis and looked at where uh, this idea of God creating rest comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 1. We moved to Exodus with the giving of the Ten Commandments. We moved to Deuteronomy where they're given again. This week, I want to move to the New Testament. I want to move to Jesus' relationship with the Sabbath. And I want to talk about some specifics. Specific things that maybe have been on your mind. In fact, I know they've been on some of your minds because you've come and asked me or Pastor Marvin about them. Or you have sent an email saying, hey, what about this? So this morning, for those of you that want specifics, we're going to talk about some specifics and a couple questions that have come up and that often come up around Sabbath. We're going to start by looking at a chapter in Mark chapter, uh, a section of Mark chapter 2. So if you get your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Mark chapter 2, verses, we're going to look at 23 through 28, and then in a few moments we'll look at a part of chapter 3. If you're using your chair rack Bible, it's page 838. And uh, please, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible should be in your chair rack, either one you're sitting in or right near you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home with you as our gift, uh, and you can have that as your own. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, here's what it says. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way... That's he and his disciples. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful or not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I want to look at those two statements at the end there. The Sabbath was made for man and not man made for the Sabbath. And one principle I think we need to understand from this is this. Sabbath is a blessing that can easily become a burden. Sabbath is a blessing from God that can easily become a burden. And that's what was happening in this time of, by the time Jesus came on the scene. That that blessing, that gift, that rest that God said that he had granted to people. He said, you don't have to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I have not created you for that. In fact, I created you to experience rest from your work. I didn't create machines. I want you to rest from your work. It's a gift But by the time Jesus is on the scene, they came up with these 39 rules and rules about rules, and it really became a burden. Am I breaking it? Am I not breaking it? Are you breaking it? Are you not breaking it? And it became a burden, not a blessing. And Jesus reminds them, he said, 
The Sabbath was created for man. You weren't created to worship this day. This day was created so you can experience a part of who God is and a part of how God has created you. So he gives this example. He says, don't you remember David? And the example he gives has nothing to do with the Sabbath. David and his men are running on the run from Saul. And while he's on the run, he has, they get hungry and they have no food. They come to the temple, and the only food in the temple is the holy bread that is kept in the presence of God that is supposed to be eaten by no one but priests. And the priest says, well, this is all we got. All we got is a holy bread, and you can't eat that. And David says, well, we're hungry, and we're going to eat that. And, and the priest allows them to eat that. But here's the principle. They set aside the ceremonial religious law for the sake of the higher need and the higher, uh, the higher moral law at the moment that these men need to eat. And they set aside that ceremonial law in the moment to obey this higher moral law. And Jesus uses that as his example for why his disciples can walk through a field and essentially pick heads of grain and eat them on the Sabbath which the religious leaders were saying, hey, they're reaping, and that's one of our 39, and they can't do that. And Jesus said, well, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And so, they set a, so Jesus says, look, you can set aside this ceremonial law for the sake of this higher moral. You set aside your rules for this higher good. So this leads to two questions. This raises in my mind, maybe yours, two questions that, that come up around Sabbath and have come up even in discussions these last couple weeks with some of you. And the first, the first question is this. When is Sabbath? Maybe you've thought about that. When is Sabbath? Is it Saturday? Because if you go out of our parking lot after this service and you look across the street, there's a good chance you're going to see the parking lot of that temple empty. But if you had come on Friday night, when Saturday begins for the Jewish people, that parking lot would be full. The Jews observe Sabbath on Saturday. Is it Sunday when Christians gather? And we often call this day the Sabbath day. And, and, and a lot of churches will call this the Sabbath. Is it Sunday that's the Sabbath? Can it be any day that's the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? There's churches, there's whole denominations formed around this question. There's a denomination called the Seventh-day Adventists that are essentially formed around this idea that, it, that Christians have to keep this Sabbath on Saturday. And so they form a whole denomination essentially around that belief. So when is it? Second question is this. Do you and I as followers of Jesus and New Testament Christians have to keep the Sabbath the same way Israel had to keep the Sabbath? Are we bound by the same rules? Are we supposed to be keeping it the way that Israel kept it, the way the Jewish people kept it? I mean, I said the first week, it is in that list of what we call the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth one. It's in the top half. So do we have to, are we bound to keep it the way that Israel kept it? These are questions that often come up and that actually have been wrestled with for a long time. Let me answer the first one because the first one's easy to answer and we can do that and dispatch with that one quickly. 
The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. The seventh day of the week is Saturday, and Saturday begins at sundown Friday and ends at sundown Saturday. The understanding of the Jewish people and the Israelites for when they, the reason of evening to evening is because when you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, if you read it, it says, and there was evening and morning of the first day. And there was evening and morning of the second day. And there was evening of morning of the third day. So the idea is days begin in the evening and they end the next evening. So Sabbath day, the seventh day, will begin the evening of Friday and end the evening of Saturday. So that, when the Bible talks about Sabbath, it's that day. It's Saturday. It's as simple as that. A statement such as my Sabbath is Thursday is nonsensical statement in terms of how the Bible sees Sabbath. That would be like saying Thursday is Saturday or red is blue. To say such a thing is contrary to the very definition of the word itself. Sabbath is the seventh day of the week and the seventh day of the week is Saturday, period, full stop. That's the end of that question. So that answers that. Sabbath is Saturday. Second question, do we as Jesus followers, as New Testament Christians, as people living on this side of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, need to observe and adhere to the Sabbath the way that Israel and the Jewish people did prior to Jesus? That one's a little bit longer of an answer. It's a question that actually the early church wrestled with quite a bit. In fact, it may be the biggest question the early church wrestled with. And it's, in fact, their answer to that question is the reason you are not sitting here on a Saturday or a Friday night. How they answered that. It's the reason why you do not have to eat kosher food. Because they wrestled with this question. In fact, Paul in Colossians chapter 2, he writes to the church at Colossae and says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival, or new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what is he saying there? He's saying, look, some people are looking down on you because you're not eating kosher. Some people are looking down on you because you're not observing Passover or the Feast of, Feast of Booths or Rosh Hashanah or all those things. You're not observing these. And they're looking, and they're looking down on you because you're not observing these days. And he says, Sabbath. And they're looking down on you because you're not observing Sabbath the way that the Jewish people do. And Paul said, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in that area. The New Testament church, the early church, wrestled with this. In fact, in one of the most important chapters in Scripture uh, in the New Testament, but often overlooked, Acts 15, it's a whole accounting of a... We're having a church council, Pastor Marvin mentioned in a couple couple weeks, and uh, and they had a church council. They had a church council. The Jerusalem council is... is, uh, Uh, The documenting of it is Acts chapter 15. And they got together, and the whole agenda of the council was this question. What do we do about these Gentiles who are coming in and starting to follow our Jewish Messiah? Do they have to follow all the other Jewish rules and laws? It was an important question. 
And there were people on all sides of the issue that were present. Acts chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says this, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now before you say, well, those are Pharisees. Don't miss the first three words of that verse. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. Yep, they were Pharisees, but they were believers in Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They trusted Jesus as their Messiah. And they're on this side saying, yeah, if you're going to come and follow our Jewish Messiah, you got to become Jewish first. And then you can follow the Jewish Messiah. And then you have people on the complete other side who are saying, no, you don't have to do any of that. And so they call this council and they're trying to figure it out. Let's keep going. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. In other words, the only thing that saves Jewish people, non-Jewish people, the only one that saves any human is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's not keeping the law. It's not keeping the rules. It was never keeping the law. For those that lived prior to the cross, it was always faith in what God was going to do. For those of us that live on the other side of the cross, it's, all, it's faith back in what God already did. It's always been the faith and the grace of God that is the only thing that saves through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, why are you putting the law on them? We couldn't keep it. It didn't save us. Why would you do that? And so they consider this. And then a few verses down in verse 28, they give their judgment. And they say this, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, writing to these Gentiles, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That was the extent of the direction. There's a lot of freedom and latitude in there. And even as they gave those things, there was freedom in there. They're just kind of like, we think if you keep these things, you'll do well. Like, you're going to live among some Jewish people, and Jewish people came to Jesus, and, and you're non-Jews, and you're living beside them, and we're all following Jesus, so if you can kind of do these few things, it's just going to go well. It's going to be better. But even there, there's some latitude, because later, Paul is going to write to the church at Corinth, and he's going to say, look, you, you want to eat food sacrificed to idols? You go to the meat market, some of that food's been sacrificed to idols. You know it's been sacrificed to idols. It doesn't matter. It's just meat. It's no big deal. It's like, it's not, it's not going to contaminate you. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. 
But he says, if it offends someone else or it hinders them in their faith, then, then you probably shouldn't eat it. And he says it this way, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And he's saying, look, it's permissible for you to eat that meat. But it might not be helpful to someone that you are trying to bring along in the faith. So in that case, don't eat it. You can. You're free to. But don't. So how do we bring this all back to Sabbath? Here's the bottom line. Bottom line. You are not sinning if you work between sundown Friday and sundown Saturday. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that? <laughs> you say, what? You say, okay, what's so important? This is important because here's what you need to understand. In Christ, you do have freedom. You have latitude. Christ did not come to put a greater burden on you. All things are permissible for you in Christ. The question is this. You are not sinning if you work between sundown Friday and sundown Saturday. That's what the Jerusalem Council decided. That's what Paul's saying in, uh, in Colossians. But here's the other part of it. There are things that you, that do not, your salvation doesn't depend on, but are also very helpful to you as you consider to pursue Christ. There are things that are practices in your life that are based on principles God has put in place that if you ignore them will be to your detriment. And, you, and, and if you obey them and you place them in your life and you follow them, that there are things that are gained in your life from it. The rabbis were um, fond of saying this about the Sabbath. More than Israel kept, ever kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. That through the Holocaust, that through difficult situations, that through persecutions, more than Israel ever kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath is what kept Israel. Because it kept them focused. It kept a clear sense of who they were. It was a boundary marker between who God had made them to be. And it helped them to see who God was and remember who they were. God created the Sabbath and it's a gift. And I don't believe it's a gift that's been revoked. Because if you, you might be sitting here and you say, okay, if we're not sinning, if we don't work, if we work during that time, then why are you doing a four-week sermon series on this? Because I believe, because this is a concept throughout Scripture that I believe is a gift from God that is often ignored because of our freedom in Christ. And simply because you have a free in Christ to not have to obey the ceremonial law doesn't mean there's not a blessing and a benefit that comes from it when you institute these practices in your life, voluntarily choosing to worship God with these practices. If you don't read your Bible tomorrow, it does not mean you are not saved. But it's a good practice for you to have in your life. If you don't spend time in prayer this afternoon, it doesn't mean you've lost your relationship with God. But it's a good practice for you to have in your life. There are things in our life that our salvation does not depend on that are helpful practices to, gain, to have in our lives as a way to know God better and to 
understand who he is and who we are better. God created Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath, because God wanted the pinnacle of his creation, that which is created in his image, humanity, to experience what God experiences, which is to rest from the work of creation and to enjoy that which is good. If it were up to you and I, we probably would have done it differently because we love creating things that don't need rest. We want, I mean, can you imagine if someone could actually create a car that never needed gas or to be charged up? I mean, you would rule the world. We want things that never need to rest. That's the way we would have made it. And God could have done that. He could have created humans that work all the time and never need to rest. You could have never needed sleep. You could have never needed a day off. God could have created that, but he didn't. He said, I want you to rest one day in seven. I want you to cease from your work. Why? Because I am the God of creation, we said in Genesis. And I want you to remember that, that I've created you. And even though when you're stop working, I'm always working. And I want you to remember in, X, in, in Deuteronomy that I am the God, your redeemer, that I am your deliverer. And your redemption does not depend on your work, but on my work. And I want you to also in Exodus, I want you to be refreshed. And I want you to rest. I want you to experience what that is because you're made in my image. And I am the God who creates and the God who rests. And when we don't cease from our work, we lose something of the image of God within us. When we just work, you lose something of the image of God within you. It's hard for us to stop working. Justin Whitmore Early in his book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for in an Age of Distraction. Let me give you a couple resources if you want to do some further reading on these things that are helpful. I'll do that today. This is why he says, we live in a culture that can't accept Sabbath. We do not believe that work is from God and for our neighbor. Instead, we believe that work is from us and for us. It's something we pursue to become who we want to become. Our careers define us. This is the American dream. We can work our way to significance. This is what we're doing when we prove our busyness to ourselves and each other. We're trying to show that we matter that the world wants us, that the world depends on us. And what Sabbath does is it says, stop your working and your value rests in the fact that God created you and that you are a child of God and God redeemed you and that's where your value is, not what you can deliver, not what you can produce, not what you can make happen. Your value lies in who God made you and who you are in God. And Sabbath reminds you of that. Sabbath is God's impression on you, not you impressing God. It's the image of God in you. It is God's impression on you. It is you. This is the God. You are, you are like this God. This is the God you serve. The God who allows you to rest. Finally, the Lord of the Sabbath gets to define it. Jesus not only said... Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He also said, and the son of man, which is a title that refers to Jesus as Messiah, and the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
which is saying two things. One, it's saying this. Jesus is saying, I'm Lord. It's a way of him saying, look, I'm Lord over all of it. And throughout the gospel of Mark, that's what's going on. He said, I'm Lord over disease. I'm Lord over death. I'm Lord over sickness. I'm Lord over the demons. I'm Lord over the spiritual world. And in this passage, he says, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. All of it. And he's also saying, as Lord of the Sabbath, he's able to define what you can do and what you can't do on the Sabbath, and your 39 rules don't cut it. Chapter 3, here's the next passage, the last passage on Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. They didn't care if he healed them, but don't do it on the Sabbath. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to, or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. The hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him and how they might destroy him. He's grieved. Why? Because they had made what God had given as a blessing into a burden. They had made what God had been given as a gift into something that they were withholding good from someone in need around them. It's a gift of Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath as a blessing, not a burden. So what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath specifically? Give you a list of things you can do and you can't do. I'm not going to do that. But let's just look at what Jesus did on the Sabbath. I think that would be a good place to start. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? A few things that we know that Jesus did on the Sabbath. Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He spent time around other God followers, around other people that were walking in the same direction and pursuing the same goals and worshiping the same God. And he spent time, he went to synagogue. I think it's right for us to spend time around other worshipers and people worshiping God on a Sabbath. Jesus spent time with his friends and made sure they had food. <laughs> he said, yeah, go ahead, pick the, pick the heads of grain. That's okay. You should eat. You should eat. I think it's good to spend time around those you love, those who are close to you, friends, family. Those, those, it's good to make time for that on the Sabbath day, to rest. When do you spend time with those who are close to you and important to you? You give the rest of your week off in someplace else and to somebody else. Sabbath is a good time for that. He did good. Mark 3, 4. Is it right to do good or to do harm? Jesus says it's right to do good on the Sabbath. For Jesus, that meant healing, deliverance. That meant um, setting people free from demons. It meant uh, feeding people. For us, I think it means uh, people in need around us. Where's the opportunity to do good, to help people set free, to help people experience that? This is what Jesus did on the Sabbath. Maybe it's a good place for us to start with what we would do with our Sabbath. Now, I'm saying Sabbath, and you recognize I'm not talking necessarily about Friday night to Saturday night. 
What I believe is that it is right and good for us to obey a Sabbath principle in our lives. One day in seven. Traditionally and historically for Christians, that's been Sunday. Um, the reasons for that are, there's a long list of reasons for that. Mostly because the short answer is because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. The longer answer involves some things about the emperor and all kinds of things that they, he had a day and they wanted a day. But, but Sunday traditionally has been the day that Christians have observed as their Sabbath. I think that's a good day if we do that as a community and we engaged in these things together. Finally, Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, I referenced first, he's a, ra a rabbi theologian. He said this, a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. And a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind. Maybe that would be something to consider. If all week you spend in front of a computer screen or in meetings or at thought places, then maybe your Sabbath, you just got to go out and get your hands in the dirt somewhere. You got to go out and do something with your hand. You got to make something. You got to create something. But if all week you are working physical labor, all week you are, you are working and, and your body is like you come back and you are just dead. Maybe you need to pick up a book or have a conversation. Maybe your Sabbath is more with your mind. Uh, but I think what uh, the point of this is it gives some latitude, right? I can't tell you what your Sabbath is supposed to look like. God said, cease work. We're the ones that started filling in the blank with all kinds of things. What does it look for you to cease work? The burden, uh, Sabbath shifts from burden to blessing when you rest in Jesus Christ. That's what you need to rest in Jesus. You need to know that he's your redeemer and your deliverer and stop working and then figure it out from there. <laughs> look at what is going to be restful and life-giving and joyful for you. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, said Sabbath is that one day it is a reprieve from what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done. Oughts are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you trade places with them. They go to the salt mine and you go out dancing. It's the one day when the only thing you must do is to not do the things you must. I love that line. It's the only, it's the day, the only thing you must do is to not do the things you must. So what should you be doing or not doing on the Sabbath? Here's some questions from Ruth Haley Barton, who also wrote a book on Sabbath. She says, what do you need to say no to so you can say yes to Sabbath? What do you need to say no to? Work, of course, but what does that look like sometimes? Is there an app on your phone or your entire phone that needs to be shut down so you can be fully present with God and others? What do you need to say no to? So you can say yes to rest and ceasing of work and embracing Sabbath. What are some of the things you should say yes to that maybe you're like, oh, that's so indulgent. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I've got so much to do. I could never. That's the whole point of Sabbath. You've got so much to do and it's not done. 
It's not done. That's the point of God allowing you to rest. It's not done. You don't get to Sabbath just because you've checked off your whole list. I love the way that Jewish people talk about Sabbath. They say, they talk about it arriving. They talk about it coming to them. It's like a train. You can't stop it. It comes. And when it's there, it's there. Pencils down. Stop your work. And rest. And know that God is God. And spend time in Jesus' presence. Where are you ignoring or neglecting blessings of God or goodness of God on the Sabbath? And I love what this, this piece of advice from Ruth Haley Barton. Do something before you do everything. In other words, I've never done this. 24 hours, you want me to step away from this stuff for 24 hours? You want me to shut my phone off for 24 hours? Do it for two. Do it for the afternoon. Just do something before you do everything. Figure out who to go to lunch with next Sunday or who to go to dinner with next Sunday. Spend time around some people. Stop your work. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to others. Because you're commanded to, because you have to, because you'll lose your salvation if you don't, nope. All things are permissible for you. You have freedom in Christ. But because your life with God will be better. Because you'll know God better. Because you'll understand more who God is and who he's made you to be. Lord, help us. We want to work all the time. God, we want to be busy. And sometimes we confuse the gift of our work with your love for us. And we think if we work harder and we work more, somehow you'll love us more. And that somehow makes you more happy. Lord, would you help us to understand we have nothing to prove to you that our salvation rests on Jesus alone and on your gift of grace to us, but that you have given us many good gifts in our life, and one of those is the gift of rest. Help us to embrace it and understand it and receive it from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll close out with this final song of worship, proclaiming our faith together.